Here I stand. Today is the 500th anniversary of Professor Martin Luther's historic stand at Brooms before the Emperor, 18 April 1521. Let us read from the Word of God in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 to 17. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Also, I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. This is the word of God. One of the greatest watchmen God ever set over us was Professor Martin Luther. And did he blow the trumpet? So that's still being heard 500 years later here in Cape Town, the uttermost parts of the earth. Shortly after Martin Luther was born, the last Muslim stronghold in Spain, Granada, fell. Two, the Spanish conquistadors and the liberation of the Iberian Peninsula was complete. Now, this was 1492, which Americans would recall as the same year that Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue and discovered the United States, or should say where the United States would be later. And so it was linked. The liberation of Spain made possible the launching of Columbus and all that happened in the New World. Then Christopher Columbus, sailing west across the Atlantic Ocean, discovered the Americas, the New World. While southwestern Europe was celebrating its freedom after eight centuries of oppression and occupation by, under Islam, southeastern Europe, the Balkans, was facing relentless onslaughts of invasion by the Muslim Turks. 1453, the siege of Constantinople led to the fall of the greatest city in the world at one time. Constantinople was not only the greatest city in the world, it was considered the center of Christendom at one time, and its church, San Sophie, was the largest church in the world, could accommodate 9,000 people in it at one time. The massacre of all the Christians in that city, one of the greatest disasters of the Middle Ages time. The Turks had been an ever-present threat to Christendom as Europe was then known. Threatened from the east by relentless Islamic Jihad, Europe was suffering from the internal corruption of the Renaissance. The Renaissance was a time of material advance and spiritual decline. It led to the rise of absolutism and the loss of individual rights and representative governments which Christian principles had developed throughout the Middle Ages. Renaissance rulers, as in the prince written by Machiavelli, rationalized despotism. Machiavelli advised rulers to be careful to maintain public relations through patronage of the arts and conspicuous charities in order to create popularity and to mask the hold on power. It seems our rulers of today have learned that lesson. Although ancient Rome had practiced human sacrifices and slavery and infanticide, and persecuted Christians and fed martyrs to wild beasts, Renaissance scholars began to hail the pagans as wiser and their times as superior to that of the Christians. This Renaissance trend to turn towards the graves of Rome and Greece was not progress, it was regression to a pagan past, a rejection of the Christian faith. And while Renaissance Italians revived the pagan writings and customs of ancient Greece and Rome and unearthed their statues and their paintings and their plays, immorality flourished 
and degeneracy accelerated. Along with the physical and intellectual exhumations of these corpses, the ancient intellectual and spiritual diseases which had led both Rome and Greece to self-destruction came to infect life in Europe. Literature became shallow and imitative. Absurd as ancient theories about humans were resuscitated at the expense of real medical research. Everyone's municipal freedoms and individual rights were lost as humanists extolled tyrannical Roman laws which tyrants were quick to adopt. No wonder the pagans loved Rome. Just totalitarian dictatorship which persecuted Christians. The impact of glorifying a licentious past was absolutely devastating upon the morals and the behavior of Southern Europe. The despairing conclusion of Renaissance humanism was life is meaningless. To escape from this intellectual cul-de-sac or dead-end street, many began to plunge into blind fortune of astrology and magic. Many people who had lost their belief in sin and in rejecting the idea of eternal life desperately sought for earthly fame and fortune. Paganism deepened as the Renaissance extended. And from the 14th to the 16th century, many cities in Southern Europe appointed official stargazers. Universities had official stargazers and astrologers, and even the popes relied on horoscopes. With almost any position in the Catholic Church open to the highest bidder, church positions became dominated by corrupt, money-grabbing humanists who ruthlessly persecuted genuine believers. Martin Luther, a brilliant lawyer and theologian, visited Rome in 1510. And Martin Luther was shocked at the corruption and the degeneracy in Rome. He said, everything is permitted in Rome except to be an honest man. To finance the Pope's extravagant living and the construction of St. Peter's Cathedral or Basilica, the Catholic Church was selling dispensations that allowed purchasers to break church rules. You could eat meat on fast days, you could marry a close relative, you could commit adultery and so on by purchasing a dispensation from the church. In addition, the Catholic Church sold indulgences, which could only be cashed in heaven, to which they claimed to hold the keys. These heavenly credits could be balanced against your sins committed on earth. These earthly and spiritual pardons were being sold by a Dominican monk, Johann Tetzel, in Saxony, when Dr. Martin Luther, now a professor at Wittenberg University, wrote 95 theses in protest. Martin Luther argued that only God can forgive sins. It is better to help the poor than to buy indulgences. And truly repentant people do not seek to avoid punishment, they rather seek punishment. Like people who go and give themselves up to the police or confess to a crime. This is a sign of, of conversion. This is uh, not a sign of conversion that you want to escape the consequences of one's actions. Martin Luther's challenge was in Latin, but some enterprising printer translated into German and began to print and sell copies of it. Soon the 95 Theses was available in French and Spanish and Flemish and Dutch and Italian, and soon Luther's dramatic challenge against unbiblical corruption of indulgences was being read in marketplaces and palaces of Europe. Even a pope was handed a copy to read. As one museum in Geneva declared in a printing press, the printing press, the reformer's friend, the tyrant's foe. And the printing press was the weapon which the reformers used to transform Europe. The princes were the best friends of the reformers in so many ways. Johannes Gutenberg, who invented the printing press, 
was voted Man of the Millennium, the year 2000, interestingly enough. And uh, it's hard to argue that he was certainly one of the most influential in terms of technology. Martin Luther, between 1517 and 1520, had 300,000 copies of his writings sold throughout Europe. Now, bear in mind the way the printing press worked. It wasn't coming out like our printers. It was one page at a time, uh, like a vine press, and hanging it up uh, to dry uh, for many hours or days uh, because it didn't have quick drying ink. And so books, 300,000 sold in just a three-year period. That represents a phenomenal. They said 80% of the printed works in the world were Martin Luther's works at that time. It was the first time in history that a revolutionary idea had impacted a continent through a mass media. In many ways, Martin Luther is the first journalist. Translators, princes, journalists, itinerant salesmen worked together to challenge the entire social and ecclesiastical system of the Catholic Church and the Holy Roman Empire. Wittenberg became the greatest concentration of printing presses in the world. Next generation, it became Geneva under Calvin. At about the same time that Cortes was entering Mexico and encountering Montezuma and the bloodthirsty Aztec Empire, Martin Luther was challenging the Holy Roman Empire in Europe, including the cardinal in charge of him, Cardinal Cachetan, who he basically chewed up and made mincemeat of him with his superior intellect and understanding of the scriptures. Martin Luther taught that faith alone, not good works, makes man righteous. Good works follow from faith. The tree bears fruit. The fruit does not bear the tree. Martin Luther taught that we could not only receive forgiveness for our sins, but victory over the power of sin, over our own carnal nature, but God's grace alone. Catholicism offers salvation in sin. You continue to sin, you just go to confession, penance, and all that sort of thing, but you continue, so you have salvation in sin. The Protestant Reformation championed salvation from sin. Not only freed from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. Not just justification, but sanctification. By the end of 1520, Luther was proclaiming the Pope is Antichrist. He puts himself in a place of Christ, he claims to be the vicar of Christ, but he's also the enemy of Christ. Excommunicated by the Pope, all that stood between Martin Luther and death at the hands of the Emperor was the protection of the Elector or the Prince of Saxony. Prince Frederick the Wise was reputed to have said there's much in the Bible about Christ, but not much about Rome. Prince Frederick of Saxony was one of the most senior and influential electors in Germany. He had been a serious contender for the position of Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Out of three, he was one of the three candidates being seriously considered after the death of Maximilian, and uh, he had helped to put the Emperor Charles V on the throne. So Charles V was Emperor of Germany, King of Spain, Sardinia, Sicily, the Netherlands, and of the Americas. His ships were sailing around the globe. His vast armies dominate all of Europe. However, Charles V could not ignore the authority of Prince Frederick because Germany was still largely feudal, meaning very decentralized. And the emperor's power was not absolute. And the German people still enjoyed many of the municipal rights and powers which the Renaissance had elsewhere stripped away. Only recently crowned emperor, just 21 years old, Charles V had to be seen to respect the authority of the electors, the princes, who had just crowned him. Prince Frederick extracted a guarantee of safe conduct for Martin Luther from the emperor. Summoned to Worms, Luther believed he was going to his death. 
He insisted that his co-worker Philip Melanchthon remain in Wittenberg. My dear brother, if I do not come back, if my enemies put me to death, you will go on teaching and standing fast in the truth. If you live, my death will matter little. Now Martin Luther at Worms was just 37 years old. And here's the oldest extant picture of Martin Luther that was sketched at the time that he confronted the emperor. So that's Martin Luther, age 37. And you can, you can see that he's lived a hard life. He has uh, undermined his health with endless fastings. Um, you could see the kind of haircut they required, shaving the whole top of the head and so on. Uh, but that's the oldest existing sketch of Martin Luther. He had been excommunicated by the Pope. Well, Martin Luther would have remembered that the martyr Jan Hus, a century before, traveled to Constance with an imperial safe conduct, which was not honored. And Luther declared, though Hus was burned, the truth was not burned. And Christ still lives. I shall go to Worms, even though there be as many devils there as tiles on the roofs. Martin Luther's journey to Worms was like a victory parade. Crowns lined the roads, cheering the man who had dared to stand up for Germany against the Pope. At four o'clock on Wednesday, the 17th of April, 1521, Luther stood before the rulers of the Holy Roman Empire. Charles V, Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, ruled all the Austrian domains, Spain, Netherlands, large part of Italy, and the Americas. At 21 years old, Charles Charles V ruled over territory larger than any man since Charlemagne. Amidst the pomp and splendor of this imperial gathering stood the throne of the emperor on a raised platform. It was flanked by knights in gleaming armor, six princes, 24 dukes, 30 archbishops and bishops, and seven ambassadors, assembled with the primary goal of intimidating Luther to back down. Martin Luther was asked to identify whether these books on the table were his writings. Upon Martin Luther's confirmation that they were, an official asked him, do you wish to retract them, or do you adhere to them and continue to assist them, assert them? Now, Martin Luther had come expecting a debate, but it was made clear to him that no debate would be tolerated. The imperial diet was ordering him to recant all his writings. So Martin Luther requested more time because he wanted to answer the question without injury to, his, to the word of God and without peril to his soul. The emperor granted him 24 hours. Now, when you're expecting a debate, you're ready to handle debate. But when you know you're only going to get a chance for a short statement, probably no more than a minute, you know, that's why you need to practice in just a minute. Because can you, yes, you might be able to get your point over an hour, but can you get your point over in one minute or even 20 seconds? And Martin Luther knew he wouldn't have much more than that before they shut him up. The next day, Thursday, the 18th of April, as the sun was setting and torches were being lit, Luther was ushered into August assembly. He was asked again whether he would recant what he'd written, and he responded that some of his books taught established Christian doctrine and faith in good works. He could not deny accepted Christian doctrine. Other of his books attacked the papacy, and to retract these would be to encourage tyranny and to cover evil. In the third category of books, he had responded to individuals who had defended popery. In these, Martin Luther admitted he had written too harshly. The examiner was not satisfied. You must give a simple, clear, and proper answer. Will you recant or not? Now, effectively, if you consider traitor to the state, they could have you beheaded. If you considered a heretic in a church, it could have you burned at the stake. They were telling him, recant or die. <laughs> <laughs> 
basically. That was the option. Martin Luther's response, first given in Latin and then repeated in German so that everyone would understand, shook the world. Unless I'm convinced by scripture or by clear reasoning that I'm in error. For popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves. I cannot recant for I'm subject to the scriptures I've quoted. My conscience is captive to the word of God. It is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against one's conscience. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise, so help me God. Amen. Amidst the shocked silence, cheers ran out for this courageous man who had stood up to the emperor and to the pope. When Martin Luther turned around and left the tribunal, numerous German knights formed a circle around him and escorted him safely back to his lodgings. Now Martin Luther had not planned to start a movement, a reformation, let alone a denomination or anything like that. He was seeking peace with God. He was seeking integrity. And his intensive study of the scriptures, and remember he had just as a professor of scripture at Wittenberg University studied Romans, Galatians, and Psalms. In the Psalms he saw what real worship was, and he said, we don't have that kind of worship. In Galatians he saw what real faith is, and he said, we don't have that kind of faith. In Romans he saw what real salvation was, and he says, we know nothing about this salvation. And so as he is studying and preaching his way through Psalms, Galatians, and Romans, God was leading him to the point where he made that 95 Theses challenge over the unbiblical practices of the Roman papacy and their corruption in trying to sell salvation. And that was on the 31st of October, 1517. But he had had to deal with primary issues of authority. Our Lord Jesus Christ had said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, he was not seeking all these things. He was not seeking reformation or anything. He was just seeking peace with God. He was seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And from getting first things first, being concerned about truth and authority, everything followed. Martin Luther's love for the word of God and his dedication to truth led him to challenge the entire ecclesiastical and political structure of the Roman church and empire. Unless I'm convinced by scripture or by clear reasoning that I'm in error, he is showing here the principle of constitutionalism. It's what's written. It's not what the Pope or the Emperor says. It's what's written. And all law must be based on God's law in order to be valid. He's pointing out the depravity of man. You cannot trust popes and councils. They've often erred and contradicted themselves, which is why this is in seed form the principle of separation of powers and the checks and balances between upper and lower house and between executive, judicial, and legislative branches of government. You have all the seeds of the later Western Christian civilization developed out of the speech. In here, you're seeing the principles of freedom of conscience, freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of the press, freedom of worship, freedom of movement. All of these are right here. This, this is revolutionary for that time. We may take these freedoms for granted. But in this short sharp, bold, brave, historic speech, Martin Luther in seed form was laying foundations for Western Christian civilization. Standing on the word of God. Conscience captive to the word of God. Martin Luther's incredibly courageous stand against the assembled political and religious might of Europe argued for freedom of conscience based on the authority of scripture alone. By translating the Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew into the common tongue, making it widely available to all. 
Martin Luther championed universal education and literacy and freedom of conscience and religious liberty. By the way, we have some Martin Luther Bibles in our display cabinet down there as well. Uh, some of them hundreds of years old. The Protestant doctrine, the priesthood of all believers, became the foundation of modern representative governments. Instead of the prevailing rex lex, the king is the law. The reformers inverted it and championed lex rex, the law is king. No one is above God's law. Jesus Christ is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Everyone is under God's law. The social implications of this religious reformation were enormous. The doctrine of sola scriptura led to constitutionalism. The priests of all believers led to the concept of representative forms of government based upon law. Religious liberty and freedom of conscience led to freedom of speech and freedom of the press and freedom of association and all the other outworkings of political and social freedom because ideas have consequences. The reformers teaching on the depravity of man and the covenant and church government have influenced positive political developments and liberty throughout the Western world and beyond, establishing the checks and balances and the separation of powers and constitutional authority. All of us are beneficiaries of this tremendous movement for faith and freedom. If you love liberty, you need to re-examine the history and the principles of the Reformation and resist revolution in all its forms. Never has there been a time in my lifetime that's been more relevant to remember Martin Luther and the principle of your conscience being captive to the word of God. It was all of this under attack today. Well, the emperor was furious. However, Prince Frederick insisted that Charles V must honor the guarantee of safe conduct for Luther. So Charles V raged against this devil in the habit of a monk and issued the Edict of Worms, which declared Martin Luther an outlaw, ordering his arrest and death as a heretic. As Martin Luther traveled back to Wittenberg, preaching at towns on the route, armed horsemen plunged out of the forest and snatched Luther from his wagon, dragged him off to Wartburg Castle. Now, this was not a real kidnapping. This was arranged by Prince Frederick amidst great secrecy in order to preserve Luther's life. And despite the emperor's decree that anyone helping Luther was subject to loss of life and loss of property, Frederick risked his throne and life to protect his pastor and his professor. And this is also a point made by Matt Truella yesterday in the conference on the doctrine of the lesser magistrate that there's a place to interpose against a higher magistrate who is unjust. And so lower magistrates also answerable to God. This is articulated particularly in the book Lex Rex by Samuel Rutherford and by Junius Brutus in Defense of Liberty Against Tyrants. As a citizen owes allegiance to his king, so the king owes allegiance to the king of kings. And if the king is in rebellion to the king of king, to the king of kings, we must not join our king or our prince or our politicians in the rebellion to God. Resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. For the 10 months that Luther was hidden at Wartburg Castle as Junker York or Knight George, he translated the New Testament into German in a blitzkrieg, something like 12 weeks. Shows how much he has saturated in the scriptures that he could do this. He wrote such booklets as On Confession, where the Pope has the authority to require it, on the abolition of private masses and monastic vows. And by 1522, the New Testament in German was on sale for about a week's wages. Now, before the printing press, a Bible would cost approximately two years' wages to buy a full Bible. But now, because the printing press, you could get the New Testament for a week's wages. 
just, just phenomenal. The Reformation not only brought about sweeping changes in the church, but dramatic changes in all of society. First of all, the Reformation focused on bringing doctrines and forms of church government and worship and daily life into conformity to the word of God. But of course, this all had tremendous implications for political, economic, social, and cultural life as well. Martin Luther revised the Latin liturgy and translated into German. Now the laity received the communion in both bread and wine, as Jan Hus's followers had taught a century earlier. The whole emphasis on church services changed from the sacramental celebration of the Mass as a sacrifice to the preaching and teaching of God's Word, which is why the altar was dismantled and a table or a pulpit was put in its place, a table with the open word or the pulpit, emphasizing in the architecture of the church the centrality of the preaching of God's Word. God's Word above all things. Martin Luther maintained that every person has the duty and the right to study the Bible in his own language. This became the foundation of the Reformation, a careful study of the Bible as the source of all truth and as the only legitimate authority for all questions of faith and conduct. The church is a community of believers, not a hierarchy of officials. The church is an organism, not an organization. The church is a living body which each believer is a member. Martin Luther stressed the priesthood of all believers. Notice, not the preacherhood of all believers, not all believers are called to be preachers, but the priesthood. A priest is a holy bridge builder. A preacher is an intermediary. A priest can speak to God on behalf of man, and he can speak to man on behalf of God. Well, in a sense, all Christians can be a witness to their neighbors and can pray to God. We don't need to go to a priest and say, pray for me. You can ask someone to pray with you, but we are able to pray directly to God. We do not need intermediaries. And so the Reformation dealt with basic primary issues, including authority. The Bible alone is our authority, not the councils or leaders of the church. Sola Scriptura, the Bible is above tradition. Secondly, salvation. Salvation is by the grace of God alone, accomplished by the atonement of Christ alone, received by faith alone. The grace comes before the sacraments. And the true church is composed of the elect, those regenerated by God's Holy Spirit. It's fine if your name's on a membership of the local church, but is it in the Lamb's Book of Life? That's the real issue. Regenerate church membership is the only real church membership. And the priesthood consists of all true believers. Rome can't appoint priests. God appoints priests when he puts the Spirit within them. So the Reformation, mobilized by Luther, rallied around these great battle cries, summarized as the five solas. Solus Christus. Christ alone is the head of the church. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone is our authority. Sola Gracia, salvation is by the grace of God alone. Sola Fide, salvation is received by faith alone. Soli Dio Gloria, everything is to be done for the glory of God alone. And that Soli Dio Gloria is on our one rand coins to this time in South Africa. Despite Luther being declared an outlaw by the emperor, he survived to minister and write for 25 more years after Vorum's, and he died possibly of poison, 18th of February, 1546. In spite of many illnesses, Martin Luther remained very active. He was productive as an advisor to princes, theologians, and pastors. He published major commentaries, a lot of which we've got in our library down below, and producing great quantities of books and pamphlets, and he completed the translation of the Old Testament to German 
by 1534. Luther continued preaching and teaching to the end of his life. He frequently entertained students and guests in his home, and he produced beautiful poems and hymns, including one hymn, which will live forever. Ein Festebrück ist unter Gott. A mighty fortress is our God. The most popular hymn for the persecuted church, the most translated hymn in the history. Luther also did a great deal to promote education. He labored tirelessly for the establishment of schools everywhere. Luther wrote a shorter catechism in order to train up children essential doctrines of the faith. When he was asked, which is his favorite book of all the books he wrote, he said, I'd wish all my books just be forgotten and people just read the Bible. But I'd like my shorter catechism to remain. So of all of his books, he counted his catechism for the children for Sunday school to be the most important of it, which may be a surprise to many a theologian. It has been common, especially for the Americans, to portray Luther as a simple and obscure monk. They love that kind of rhetoric. Who challenged the Pope and Emperor. Actually, Martin Luther was anything but simple or obscure. He was learned, experienced, and accomplished far beyond most men his age. He had a master's in law and a doctorate in theology. How on earth is he simple and obscure? He had lived in Magdeburg, Eisenach was one of the most distinguished graduates of the University of Erfurt. He had traveled to Cologne, to Leipzig, crossed the Alps, traveled to Rome by foot. That's a long way to walk all the way to Rome and back. And most people of his time didn't travel more than four miles from their home. And for most of history, that was true. Most people didn't travel very far from home. Martin Luther was one of the best-traveled, best-read people and certainly is the greatest best-selling author of his time, how on earth can he be called simple and obscure? Luther was a great student with a tremendous breadth of reading. He had excelled in his studies. He had achieved his Master of Arts and Doctorate in Theology in record time. He is an accomplished best-selling author, one of the greatest preachers of all time, highly respected theological professor, one of the first professors to lecture in the German language instead of Latin, which was normal. Far from being a simple monk, Luther was the prior of his monastery. He was a district vicar over 11 other monasteries. He was a monk, but he was also a priest, a preacher, a professor, a writer, and a reformer. And so this endless refrain of this simple, obscure monk yeah, challenging the Pope, nothing of the sort, so far from reality, you wonder why they have to continually uh, propagate this fiction. He was one of the most courageous and influential people in all of history. In fact, he truly, I think, should have been declared the man of the millennium. And this is a magnificent memorial in Worms, Germany, which obviously has Martin Luther central, as he deserves to be, but he's surrounded at the base by the pre-reformers, Huss, Savonarola, Wycliffe, and Peter uh, Waldo of the Waldensians. But then on the outer edge, you can see these great political figures like Frederick, and Philip, who provided protection, and then other of the reformers like Melanchthon in support of him. So this is a very good integrated monument communicating many of the other players involved in the Reformation. Martin Luther designed this Luther Rose, which I'm wearing today. The only place you can get this is in Luther House at Wittenberg. He said the cross must come first, black and within a heart, which has its natural color, red, so that I can be reminded it is our faith in Christ crucified which makes us blessed and happy. Such heart should be placed in the center of a white rose to grant my faith joy, comfort, and peace. This is why the rose must be white, not red, 
as white as the color of spirit souls and angels. Such a rose in turn is in the middle of a sky-colored field symbolizing heaven. My joy and faith is the beginning and my heavenly bliss is my future. The golden ring around the sky-colored field is a symbol of my eternal happiness in heaven, a bliss which is greater than all joy and possessions. It is gold, as gold is the most precious and exquisite ore. And of course, that symbolizes God's covenant. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone. This is the Luther Rose symbol of the Reformation. You can see it in the Schlosskirche, over the doorways and many other different places. The Lutheran faith was not only adopted in northern Germany, but also in Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Iceland. So the Vikings established themselves as Lutherans throughout. Luther was a controversial figure in his day. He's continued to be considered controversial to this very day. This whole website's dedicated to attacking Martin Luther. There's no doubt that Luther's search for peace with God changed the whole course of human history. Luther challenged the power of Rome over the Christian church. He smashed the chains of superstition and tyranny. He restored Christian liberty to worship God in spirit and in truth. The extraordinary energies that had been released by the rediscovery of the Bible in the common tongue led to the most extraordinary spiritual revival in history. It freed the Christians of Northern Europe from the decadence of Renaissance paganism. It led to the greatest birth of freedom and scientific discoveries in history. If I had a place to stand, I could move the world. The Greek engineer Archimedes was referring to the wonders of the lever. In principle, the capacity of the lever is unlimited. An ordinary weakling can move a rock the size of the house. All he would need would be a fulcrum. That's a pole strong enough so it won't break and long enough to multiply the force, that's in a place to stand. But the force multiplying physics of the lever are a function of distance. The heavier the object or the weaker the person trying to move the object, the longer the pole would need to be, and the further away from the object you'd need to stand. But with the right fulcrum balanced on the right bar and with the right distance, all you would need to do would be to push the lever down and the boulder, no matter how heavy it would be, would have to move. So theoretically, Archimedes famously declared, with the right fulcrum, with the right bar and distance, you could put a lever to plant earth and you could move the world itself, as long as you had a place to stand. Well, on 18th of April, 1521, 37-year-old professor from the University of Wittenberg found himself summoned before the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire and standing before the assembled political might, all the spiritual authorities of Europe, Luther was presented with a simple choice, will you recant and reject everything you've been teaching about the gospel? Or will you be cast out of the state as a traitor now the church as a heretic to be burned at the stake effectively? And Martin Luther's reply changed the world. He changed history because he had a place to stand. He declared, my conscience has kept the word of God, here I stand. Our Lord Jesus declared that your faith can move mountains. Well, Martin Luther's faith moved the world because he had a place to stand. He stood on the word of God. The fulcrum he used was the gospel. This was balanced on the bar of the law of God. He actually fulfilled what the Greek engineer Archimedes had merely hypothesized about. Standing on the word of God, using the bar of the law of God and the fulcrum of the gospel, Martin Luther's faith not only moved mountains, it changed the world. It brought an end to the Middle Ages. It ushered in the modern world. The Protestant Reformation and the resultant scientific revolution, the Industrial Revolution, produced 
the most productive, prosperous, free nations in the history of the world. All of this because Martin Luther had a place to stand and he made a stand on the unchangeable word of Almighty God. But Christian civilization has been under attack, symbolized by the aerial bombing of the land of the Reformation during the Second World War, leaving 63 cities in complete ruins. Martin Luther's monument in Dresden looking over the most horrific destructions. And the first thing the people repaired was the monument of Martin Luther. And for many years, the Frauerkirche, the woman's church behind, stood in ruins. But ultimately, not only was the city of Dresden rebuilt and all the other cities and churches in Germany, but ultimately, you could see even this magnificent church was rebuilt. And you can see these darkened bricks, 7,000 of the bricks, the stones that they used in this uh, church were of the uh, destroyed, uh, burned. You can see it's blackened from the fire bombing. And so this is symbolic of what we have to do. Yes, the gates of hell are attacking the church, but the gates of hell shall not prevail because Jesus Christ is building his church. See the trouble we're in. So much is in ruins. And the gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls and we'll no longer be in disgrace. Which is why we founded the Reformation Society back in 2005 and produced the Greatest Century Reformation book. And 95 Theses for Reformation Today translates it into different languages too. And audio and visual materials and organized the Reformation Five and Celebrations in 2017 marking the publication of 95 Theses. As the William Farrell monument makes clear, scripture alone is the ultimate authority, sola scriptura. The Lutheros reminds of these great principles. Our prayers, will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you. Let us pray. Lord God, we want to thank and praise you for Professor Martin Luther. We want to thank and praise you, Lord God, for your grace and mercy and the power of your Holy Spirit, which so powerfully works in this man 500 years ago to challenge what was wrong and to stand up for what was true and right based on your word. Lord God, we pray, may we learn the lessons. May you inspire a new generation to take up the torch, to contend for the faith of the gospel once delivered to the saints, to stand on the unchangeable, inerrant word of God, to balance our gospel on the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law is the schoolmaster that leads us to Christ that we can be justified by faith. We thank you, Lord God, that we can move the world when we stand on your word. Help us, Lord God, to fear you alone. Thank you, Lord God, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. May you, Lord God, galvanize and inspire and empower all your faithful people who have not bowed the knee to Baal worldwide. On this day, throughout this month and years, we remember this tremendous stand made by one of your faithful servants, one of the watchmen on the walls. Lord, may you be merciful and gracious to grant a new back to the Bible reformation and heaven-sent spiritual revival. For we pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.